0: The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One.
1: There's this awesome book called The Starfish and the Spider, and it talks about how you can either build a starfish, which if you chop it in half, chop off an arm, not only will it survive, but those arms will regrow. But if you're a spider, uh, like a huge corporation that has shareholders and on-the-ground people and all these things, and everything is related, right? You hit a couple of the spider's legs or you poke some of its eyes out, everything falls to pieces. Our organization is built in a way where if I quit tomorrow, our programming would continue
0: to run. Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. Rachel Sumek is founder and CEO of Swipe Out Hunger, a national nonprofit that partners with universities to end college student hunger. And she joins me here today. Rachel, hello.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So can you walk us through how um, a student on campus experiences the program?
1: Yeah, Uh, I'll start by saying one of our mottos, which is every college student has insecurities and we believe food should never be one of them. So I think it's one about breaking down the stigma. Like we all are insecure and and feeling shame around food insecurity Mm -hmm. is horrible, right? So students who are in need are one, we coach schools on how to identify them. So, for instance, former foster youth or undocumented students or first-generation students or um, students who are eligible for Pell Grants, they've already been identified. There's questions on forums, and we encourage the school to first reach out to them. Secondly, we're big advocates for also leaving it open source. There's a lot of kids who are middle income who don't get any financial aid but are still in debt or struggling and making these sacrifices. So how do we make sure that anyone, a lot of our schools, like at UC Santa Barbara, as long as you apply, you can get a meal swipe, right? And you have to write a little piece. We try and take people's words, but we really do keep it open. Uh, And then with our food, that's for the meal swipes mostly. And for our food pantries, we... We also encourage people to leave it open. I mean, you can go onto UCLA's campus right now uh, and walk into the the food closet and grab what you need. And um, you'd be surprised that there's actually such a need that the stigma is no longer in the way. And our campuses are doing a really good job of dispelling that. So I was there a couple weeks ago, and I saw maybe like 20 students within a half-hour period walk in and out, if not more. And there's a woman who was walking out, and kind of saw me standing there as if I was some sort of, like, someone who had to do something with bringing this food there. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, like, if I didn't know that this was here, I wouldn't have re-enrolled in school. Like, this is one of the reasons why. So thank you, God bless you for keeping this available for us. This is a huge support. And we have this guest book in our, um, in, in a lot of the food closets and the notes that people leave behind, how grateful, how in detail they go. They don't know who's going to read this, but they really express the gratitude for it. And I think that that's what it comes down to. How do we have people realize that these are just other students that everyone kind of has these tough times and resources are there to help you? The cost of a meal is nothing. It's so small. But then the cost to society for having someone drop out of school, not get a degree, the impact that, that has on them and their family is massive. So, if there are any critics of our right. program, I think it's leveraging the cost of a food service program as opposed to the cost of one person dropping out. I mean, the cost of society of one person dropping out is equal to an entire year of us running a food program on campus.
0: And how do you ensure anonymity of those who are enlisted in the program? Uh,
1: for some of our schools where it's just open, students can walk in and grab what they need. Our chapter at Northwestern actually has uh, a like a lunch, like a backpack program where they have. Before the breaks, you know, over spring break, dining halls are closed. And a lot of students don't have the funds to go home, Mm -hmm. so they provide food there. Anyone can just come and kind of say, I need this. And then some of our schools will want to at least track who's coming in and going and collect that data. So students will just swipe their cards. There's no, like, person Mm check-in or any of that. But it really does differ. Every school has their own rules.
0: Swipe Out Hunger is something that you came up with when you were at UCLA. My friend came up with it. I ran with it. You ran. <laughs> yeah. What happened to your friend?
1: <laughs> he went to medical school. Okay, so, yeah, it was yeah. a nice Jewish kid. Okay, yeah.
0: there you go. You are first generation. Your parents emigrated here from Iran. Yep. True. True. You grew up in the valley.
1: Grew up in the valley. 818 okay. 818
0: all day. Okay. Great. And tell me about when this idea to leverage something that a lot of people take for granted, which is meal plans and just food in general, came about.
1: Yeah, we were students at UCLA, and I think anyone who's ever had a meal plan, had to live on campus, can relate to this in some way of feeling like a broke college student and at the same time having this amazing resource of a meal plan uh, where you have 15 or 20 meals a week, and you don't use all of them. And at the end of the semester, the only option you have is to blow them on all your friends or on pallets of food and Swipe at Hunger gives students another option, which is to donate them.
0: So when your, you and your friend mm-hmm. had the idea,
1: so my the way it actually happened is well, my friend Brian had this idea uh, and posted it on Facebook. He's like, "Who wants to get involved?" And I figured, "Why not? This sounds pretty cool." And I this
0: is two
1: thousand nine, yeah, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when we like really got it off the ground and. It just kind of went from there, me just saying, I know how to use Photoshop, I can probably make your flyer, I've never really done volunteering in all of this, and I showed up on our first day when we were going to move pallets of food uh, that students had donated, and no one else really showed up. And so me and Brian, my friend, spent five hours lugging all of this food across campus, um, and, and we could have stopped. I mean, it was June. It was super hot and sweaty. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, great, no one else showed up. We'll just reschedule. And he's like, no, no, we have to do this today. And I think, like, for me personally, that was a huge – it was great that that was my introduction to this work because it showed me that it's about hard work. And even if no one shows up, things don't go as planned. You recalibrate and you keep going. You live up to the word. We had to show the school we were serious about this. So we spent five hours moving this food across campus.
0: What was the school's response to what you were doing?
1: Um, They really didn't like us. I mean, what we were asking them for is that this bottom line, this cushion that they were getting, these tens of thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of dollars that they were otherwise keeping in their pockets, we were asking them to donate it. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, even after the first rejection and the second rejection, when we got the program up. They still push back. I mean, every every quarter they would say, another reason why we can't continue next year.
0: Well, was it like food and safety problems? And- yeah.
1: I mean, like at first it was the secu- like someone might may be getting sick. And then once we moved past that and we were using actual dollars or using non-perishable food, then the concern became logistics. Or um, I actually had a great conversation with one of the dining directors years later. And he said, my biggest concern was that some other school would hear that we were the school that let this happen. That we were the school that finally like opened the floodgates of students donating meal points, and they didn't want to have their head on the line. Um, should this become a thing? Isn't and that so, crazy? Isn't that so crazy? That doesn't make like, any sense. Like we fed like hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Well, I would we'll have be stopped that. Is that, that recognition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that our <laughs> colleagues ending. might not like us. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So that was the pushback, but it's such a smart angle to take on on cornering them and saying hey this little pocket of revenue you know we're aware of it and we're actually going to point it in a different direction so I, and and it kind of it, it makes their argument sound ridiculous there isn't much of an argument so at what point did they did things change and the wind start going with you
1: uh there was one really big moment, which was in 2012, our senior year, when we were invited to the White House, and President Obama, God bless his soul, called us champions of change. And I mean, from that point, we're sitting there, I think it was like 21, 20, no, yeah, like, I don't even know what it was, and just seeing the President say that something that you and your friends are doing is worthy, right? And up until that point our interpretation of ourselves was that we were kids breaking the rules, like right. that every day our program was on the line. And here was this intense, like, validation. I mean, talk about social proof.
0: Was this right before he'd been elected a second term?
1: Um, this was in March, so right before the, yeah, right before the November election. Wow, interesting. <laughs> so you,
0: at that time you're thinking, like, we this might be our only shot. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: would you be, uh, would, you, would you accept an invitation from the White House right now?
1: You know, I, uh, a lot of people have in their Twitter bios, like, my tweets are my own opinion only. I'm a pretty vocal person. I don't think I would accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't go there. I would accept the award maybe on behalf of the organization. To, but to I really, shine a light
0: on the work. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't I
1: wouldn't tweet about it.
0: Roam around the Eisenhower room with this guy. Mm, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> what was that experience like? Well, how much notice do they give you when the White House people mm. call? Well, I mean, wh- where were you? Yeah. What was that like?
1: Similar to everything you else the government does. No, I mean... I mean, when they called us and told us, we knew it was coming. We knew that, like, we were being considered, and then they gave us two weeks to show up. They did not fund any of our tickets. They did not fund any anything. So we're running around campus saying, "Hey, UCLA! Like, a bunch of your students just got invited to the White House. You better buy us plane tickets to go and accept this award." <laughs> Again, shame. So, exactly. I mean, it's so all about, smart. Yeah, it's not shame. It's about finding people's interest, right? What's the self-interest and for their you? Weaknesses. And yeah. <laughs> And they have the resources, right? Of course. Um, So we ran to friends, family, the campus, and uh, raised enough money to fly all 15 of us out. Um, And there were other groups invited who only had like two or three people there. But I think it kind of reflected the grassroots communal culture of the organization. And that's, I think, a big reason why we're successful.
0: What did Obama say to you?
1: He said that, if you remain idealistic as you get old, nowadays when you meet an old idealistic person, people will call you crazy, but in fact, you're actually supposed to stay idealistic as you get older because that's the only way things will change. So be okay with people calling you crazy because someone needs to really believe that it's possible and not just possible when you're 20, possible when you're 50 and, and whatnot.
0: Did you literally just give back to me exactly what he said? Yeah, there? he <laughs> actually... It's incredible. I feel like, I, feel like I could hear his voice coming out of you. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, He was... Look. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) everything was always look
1: no I mean he was far more articulate but I mean the words that he said even though it was just two or three minutes really stay with you
0: and we'll be right back after this quick break the Forbes Under 30 podcast is brought to you by LifeLock is your personal info for sale on the dark web monitoring your credit can't show you but LifeLock sees a wide range of threats to your identity if something happens US based specialists can work to fix it go to LifeLock.com use the promo code Forbes And save ten percent. We should mention that we're in person here. We usually do all these interviews over the phone. So uh, no, I braced
1: the four or five for you.
0: Yeah, thank you. We appreciate that. At what point then, in so 2012, does it really become a business where you are at the helm? And this other guy is off in medical school.
1: Yeah, I mean, people always talk about, it was actually three of us together. One is now in Silicon Valley, a recruiter at Airbnb. One is an MD, MBA. And here I am, the one who said, you know, this is pretty awesome. I know we're all working our own full-time jobs. A year after we graduated, we were all just working on this after hours. And I said, I think that there's something more here. And I think that I want to step into this role. And I moved back to L.A. and and walked into a Starbucks and called myself an executive director and then Googled what that meant. So I think, like, in in some ways, I was a co-founder of the idea and the movement. And then in some ways, I'm the founder of the national nonprofit, um, simply because I – I don't know.
0: uh, Well, you took initiative – And said, I want to see this, or I want to expand, I imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think also asked, sure, it's a good idea. I think everyone has really good ideas. Um, But then just because, I mean, every day you read about a new app that's taking food waste and providing it to feed people, right? But just because there's one resource and there's one problem and you just put them together, doesn't mean you're actually solving the right. problem, right? To what end? So I think what I asked myself as a young, change-minded person was, how is my program actually going to end hunger? And we, had, at this point, served like half a million meals, and hunger was still around. And so I said, how do we actually use this resource of extra meal points, of students, of campus infrastructure, to solve a problem? And that's where the issue of College student hunger really came to the forefront. We were supporting our fellow peers since day one, since 2010. That's kind of where we took the meals uh, once we got up. And there are so many studies coming out saying one in seven students across the country have been to a food bank, have like straight up gone and asked for help. And there's so much shame involved with that. So imagine the actual need of people who are settling for ramen every day. It's fine to have it sometimes end of the month. You go too crazy the night before and your are Yeah,
0: instead of just, like, saving up for a big weekend. Exactly, right? yeah, which yeah. is
1: totally fine. <laughs> like, learn financial responsibility. Yeah, but, but people
0: are really on financial assistance. And, exactly. Uh,
1: and so the same kid that from kindergarten through 12th grade was getting a free lunch ticket, has now had all these amazing programs, getting them to college, but doesn't have those resources in school, actually has jet actually is away from their family. And once they pay for tuition, once they pay for rent, food is the first thing to get cut. And that's often the thing that will help them focus in class, help them be more engaged and do well.
0: Did you take – when did you decide to go in 2012? I think you did to Chicago, right, Mm -hmm. to go Mm -hmm. and work with – you do social work
1: yeah essentially I mean how did I, that come about <laughs> Like many young people I felt like I had to change the world and if I wanted to really like test to see if I was about that life I decided to go into the trenches and I um, moved not I moved to an okay I moved to Lakeview right by Wrigley Field mm-hmm. but worked in uptown which is not that good of a part of Chicago a very diverse part um, and help people who are homeless get back on their feet. And it was a huge reality check for me, and I also realized that direct service wasn't my jam. I did not need to be in front of the person to feel like I was making an impact. Where I actually felt real purpose was after hours when we were working on swipes, and I would have a phone call with a student, and they asked a question, and I had the exact answer that they needed, and a week later they would come back to me, and I've done all of this work simply because I gave them some guidance. And, like, holy moly, like, we can have a really, really big impact in the world if we democratize information and share resources and um, believe that young people can actually negotiate with the campus dining services.
0: Right. It wasn't the payoff of the moment being in uh, that kind of validation that you were seeking. But when you, before you went into the Starbucks and declared yourself the ED, you, um, did you, did anybody caution you? on going and taking a leadership role?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always a lot of people who might question if that's a good choice for you personally, right? Like my parents... As the founder. Uh, yeah. So I, I think like a lot of my, my my Iranian Jewish community is like, oh, like go to law school. You you went to a great school. You can get a good job, get a good degree. So yeah. there's, there's like that constant influence that we think we always have to push back. And then um, something that one of the people involved in our group said to me whenever I proposed this idea of me coming in was that he didn't think I was actually uh, a good leader. He thought, well, he he said I was too nice to be a leader. Too nice. God forbid we're nice to each other. Um, And I think it really made me reckon with how I saw myself, how I presented myself, and um, also what leadership meant. I think I'm still a really nice person. I think being nice is not a qualifier. It should not be... a disqualifier for someone to be a
0: leader it lit a fire under you
1: yeah (laughs) absolutely so i think i also spent that next year um that in the back of my mind of am i qualified can i do this and i really overdid it because of that um i worked too hard too many hours i fell into the whole startup um make it your life and don't have anything outside of this going on which i don't know i guess wasn't effective because i also didn't have i was 21 when I started this, um, at full time, turned 22 a couple months later and didn't have a bunch of advisors around me and quickly started to seek those out. So that was a huge redirection of all that energy in the best way.
0: It's interesting how like demoralizing comments like that can serve as a great motivator.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think also as a leader myself now, I've learned how do I, even if I think someone might be... Um, not quite ready, experience or or experienced enough to step in, step into a role. How do you lovingly present that information to them? Um, how do you actually see why they they want to do that, and how do you support them?
0: You were doing 80 to 100 hours a week that first year. About 80. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Not all at the Starbucks. <laughs> no. I'm assuming you don't work out of there. and where, no. where do you work out of now?
1: We uh, are now, We actually just moved into a WeWork a couple months ago downtown in downtown Los Angeles, um, which has been pretty sweet. But we were in another co-working space in the Arts District downtown. Okay. Yeah. So it's been pretty cool to build something in community with others.
0: I belong to one of those workspaces, too. Noya House.
1: Oh, you know, fancy. Noia? I
0: know. It's a little... It's a bit. It's a bit too fancy. Yeah. I wish it was a little less. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But P- I mean, like, are, are I go literally to literally dress from the future of the Civil War or something <laughs> like that.
1: But I mean, so I go to Equinox and it's not that I feel like I need to wear Lululemon every day, but you go there and everyone's like so fit it's and so into it. So it inspires you. I got grandfathered and
0: I got a good rate <laughs> and they have great, it's actually very nice, like the, sit, the sitting and everything. It's the uh, the human beings that sometimes bother you. But the... Um, <laughs> it inspires you to step up. Uh, yeah. No, but you know something about this, which I think anybody who's listening to what we're doing would be interested in, which is the networking stuff. Hmm. Meeting people. you People have said about you that you are really good at that. You come in and you're like prepared. You give yourself a pep talk, but you tell me you're the one doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a very strong belief. If I can copyright this, if there's a lawyer out there who wants to start the IP on you're this. We have a lawyer
0: in the back at all times. Great.
1: Right. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the corner eating cereal. No, no, no he's,
1: um, a, he's just I, a tech guy. Yeah. I have a very strong belief that Los Angeles specifically operates on a relationship economy. No one really cares about what like company you work at or where you worked or where you went to school even. They care about who you know and what that person says about you. So if you're able to walk into a room and authentically present yourself, like be in touch, self-awareness, meditate, do all of that. Like that's base level at this point, you guys. And then after that, be able to bring value, right? I think that... The amount of time I spent refining what we do and why we do and how we do it allows me to come really powerfully to the table and present what we do. All of that said, I'm now a 25 Middle Eastern Jewish girl um, who's 5'11", just so you guys know, who is still, like, has a lot going against me when I walk into a room of, like, investment bankers or, like, white men. Sorry to use that word. i not Sorry. But uh, like as, people, you mean, as a white says, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm not insulted <laughs> But like by things
1: it. things that like we we identify with power, right? Sure. Um, and then feel like rem- like I I don't know, I think reminding myself that wait, no, I, I do know who I am, I do bring value to the table, and anyone is lucky to kind of work with us. And That's so I've right. giving myself that reminder before I walk into those rooms is what we all should be doing, right? Taking the moment to like taking the back, the homework of knowing who we are and what we do. And then in the moment, right before we walk into that room, reminding ourselves of that and being prepared to take that on is the trick.
0: And we'll be right back after this quick break. Shopping online has its pluses, but also comes with risks. With the holidays fast approaching, here's some tips to help keep your identity and financial information safe. Always use a secure internet connection rather than a vulnerable hotspot. Shop on sites with secure payment methods like credit cards or gift cards create strong passwords, be wary of deals that are too good to be true, and finally, avoid phony shopping apps. Here's the thing. Identity fraud costs Americans $16 billion in 2016. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name lifelock detects a wide range of identity threats if they detect your information they'll send you an alert no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses go to lifelock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK use promo code forbes that's forbes for 10% off your lifelock membership visit lifelock.com and save 10% now Target USA. Russia. Could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is someplace they would like to seek an attack. Interviews with top intelligence and national security officials. We've got you covered on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Download it every Thursday. And don't forget to subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. So true. The way that you carry yourself, like my 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 girlfriend will, will say that she's a very uh, you know strong, smart person. But she said that that if you act like you should be promoted, you will be promoted.
1: Exactly. And I was told my whole life, like my friend reflected, that I should be nice, passive, submissive, make everyone feel good, which is, I mean, I think wonderful, right? I'm very much proactive in in acting and taking care of people, which is lovely. Um, But at the same time, that shouldn't mean that I can't have an opinion or Mm -hmm. that I shouldn't feel confident in what I do.
0: How has the business of... Well, let's get back to that, actually. Do you find that people... Is there... When you're pitching and, and, and in business meetings, and let, let's start with the, with the men, do you find that there's, that there's sometimes uh, that they don't take you as seriously?
1: To be honest with you, not necessarily. I think that, in fact, being a young woman gives me a lot of um, leverage. And then I think what comes after that is even though I walk into the room and they're captivated by how charismatic or enthusiastic mm-hmm. um, what I do is, I think the doubt creeps in whenever they think, well... I don't know if I should get involved with this, right? Because I'm going into rooms with people to get their partnership. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if they're judging my ability in that moment, in my business savviness or my ability to scale or whatever it might be, I think that's where the questioning comes in and where I have to go kind like of over, <laughs> like overwork that and really make sure that I'm prepared beyond what I need to be uh, to compensate. Right. Yeah. I think a study, I forgot which publication it was, but came out today saying, like, they recorded a bunch of VCs and their interpretation of men walking into a room pitching versus women was, like, dramatically different, right? They said, she's amazing, she's so smart, but I don't think that she's confident enough. Mm. Whereas with men, it was like, yeah, so I think um, the way it shows up is really differently. The beautiful part is there's so much data out there that we can really use to be prepared.
0: And the double standard on if you are decisive that being interpreted as being hostile
1: totally or like i'm a i'm a woman female mm-hmm. leadership is collaborative like of course i have an opinion but i want us to work together on this right and so having society see that as a positive as opposed to a negative is another thing that i think by remaining uh, like a powerful female leader we can shift that narrative as opposed to me thinking that being aggressive and cutting people off is leadership because right. that's not it doesn't work
0: I like that. That's, I, I always like Michael Lewis's comment about that leadership, like accidental success. People who just find themselves in leadership roles really believe that they deserve all that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and they, they don't share it. Even, even if wholly by accident, they are appointed <laughs> to a position. And I think they gave some sort of study that I won't get into now that, 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 that confirmed that. How has the business evolved? Where is it at now? Um, and how, how, how have you scaled it? What, what schools mm-hmm. are you in? Where else are you?
1: So we are now on 30 universities. We've scaled um, almost like a franchise model. So even though we have a very, very small staff here in L.A., each chapter is really run self-sufficiently. There's this awesome book called The Starfish and the Spider, and it talks about how you can either build a starfish, which if you chop it in half, chop off an arm, not only will it survive, but those arms will regrow. But if you're a spider... uh, like a huge corporation that has shareholders and on the ground people and all these things and everything is related right you hit a couple of the spiders legs or you poke some of its eyes out everything falls to pieces our organization is built in a way where if i quit tomorrow our programming would continue to run because we've gotten people on the ground invested they they're their own arms um And so for that reason, we really believe that scale is, like, right on the horizon. In fact, we're working on some legislation. We had a state assemblywoman call us and say, you know, I was a professor. I saw how much your program helped our students, and now that I'm elected, I'm going to write a bill about this. And so I've been to Sacramento a bunch in the past few weeks. We... uh, past committee and now are about to be hopefully in a couple weeks voted and then signed by the governor and we'll, this will be our hockey stick where 146 universities mm. will be incentivized to adopt our program. So this is like yeah, just about jumping on opportunity now.
0: And you've raised, how much money have you raised?
1: A couple hundred thousand dollars. So we are very lean. What we do is actually leverage the money that schools already have on meal plans. Mm-hmm. So in, in essence we're a consulting agency that consults schools on how to establish this program, how to best use it, and really tap into the resources that exist. So we don't need to raise that much, right? Every dollar that we raise, like, motivates and catalyzes $7 on the ground.
0: Pays the staff.
1: Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, and then what the staff does is really tap into the money in the outside mm-hmm. world on these university campuses. Uh,
0: Do you have plans to go outside of schools?
1: Um, not yet. We do have plans to go outside of the U.S., but really our objective is to solve the problem, right? they are hungry students, and then you have amazing dining halls right down the street, right? So how do we build a society where the university feels some sense of responsibility to take care of all their students, make sure everyone has access to food?
0: And it's a great entry for people in university to get involved in this kind of oh thing. Oh my god, a, yeah. That is as feel-good as it gets.
1: Totally. Right. I mean, like, everyone's always asking you for money. You yeah. get to give something Here's away. Something that you
0: can do. If you have no money as a student.
1: Exactly. You could just
0: swipe a couple meals exactly. to someone who, who needs it. Um, you've said before that, you know, you, you strike me as somebody that would look and seek advice from people and, you know, make good contacts and network. But you've said you shouldn't take all the advice that you get. Mm-hmm. Right? So what mm-hmm. do you mean by that?
1: Um, people... Say things with intention, right? The intention isn't always to give you advice. The intention might be they have this great story to tell you, and now's the time they're going to tell you it in the middle of you asking for advice. So I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing that's helped me in those moments is understanding the person first. So asking the right questions, getting a sense of who they are, where they come from, what drives them, and then when they give you advice that um, might be really focused in one industry. It's because they really want to be there or they have a lot of connections there and that's where they're coming from. So the more you can understand an individual, the better you get at reading people and getting to know them, the more you can understand the weight or the value of their advice or just more context around it. And then you can decide if it matches up with yours. Right. Yeah. Or you can ask a follow-up. My favorite follow-up question after someone gives me advice is, Great. Can you introduce me to someone there, or what do you think? What would you do next after that if you were to take that advice? Uh, and then it's a whole different conversation. And you can also
0: make it about them and not say very much.
1: Oh yeah, I that's, mean that's, that's one really of the greatest
0: valuable. skills in LA. I mean that's <laughs> that's literally how I met people in LA. Just yeah. By just going really, and then what did you do with your life? And, and then what feel did you do? So connected. And they go, to Steve's you. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've said nothing.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: What, what have you? Um, I want to ask: Are you when you th- do you meditate?
1: I do, but I mean, I do meditate in like moments where I need it, probably like five to ten minutes a day. But it happens um, while I'm driving and just need to like pull over and recollect myself. I was going to say, or, don't
0: meditate when yeah, you drive. No, no. I literally did it. I missed. I missed the- <laughs> Crenshaw and I almost went to, like stack into the wall.
1: There is, but I had like, a
0: guided meditation.
1: There is mindful meditation where like. I don't know. One of my favorites is if I can't close my eyes necessarily because that looks weird, but I feel yeah. like I need to like in the moment really lower your myself. gaze. <laughs> yeah. That's what
0: they say. Lower your gaze.
1: But even I mean like, focusing. and they go, it's not a
0: mistake. It's not a failure that <laughs> your mind is gonna No, right.
1: Absolutely. There's no way to incorrectly meditate. Yeah. So my one of my favorite things to do is uh, pick up on the sounds around me, pick up, like, checking with my body. So I don't need to close my eyes for these things. You do it's, the body scan. Do the body scan. Um, those things, like, completely check me in. I'll also say that... Um, I did a pitch in 2014 that got us a ton of money, and the reason why... SVP? SVP, Social mm-hmm. Venture Partners. If you are a young nonprofit anywhere in America, check out Social Venture Partners. They have an epic fast pitch competition. I saw it.
0: I saw your presentation. Did you it? Yeah, it? It's it was one of my excellent. favorites.
1: I have this beautiful hand gesture swipe at the end.
0: After that, <laughs> I do it
1: in every pitch. It really closes it really nicely. You were very
0: prepared. There was a lot of... The gesticulation was on point.
1: Thank you. Um, A couple weeks before that pitch, I started doing breathwork meditation, and I did a couple deep, deep breaths before I went up there, and that was the game changer. Yeah.
0: I asked about the meditation because uh, I meditate, and I found it very helpful, but it's helpful when you're... What are the problems that you bump into most frequently that would necessitate stepping back, being mindful of... Where I'm at right now. So yeah. that I'm not as reactive and upset. What are the things that upset you in, in your in your work?
1: I think it's about knowing what those triggers are. So the moment I see my coworker Marissa like look a little bit like frazzled because I'm not speaking clearly or I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, oh wait, like if the people around me are kind of like feeling if I don't feel good about how they're feeling, that means that I need to check in with myself. They feed off
0: your energy. Yeah. 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 That's what uh, yeah, right? I'm learning, too. Yeah.
1: Totally. You got to be mindful of people around you and what they feed you uh, and pick up on that. Um, or whenever I feel like super overwhelmed, like there's just a million things to do, but at the same time, I can't really pick one to start on.
0: And you do nothing. And I do nothing. <laughs> I like circle
1: around. I like start 10 emails or like three proposals and never yeah. finish anything. So just like checking in and reminding myself, like remind yourself of the three most important things. I think like Tim Ferriss said this in a podcast years ago, but like make a list of like five things you want to do that day, and then pick the three that if you do, you'll feel really good about. Right. Circle those and move from there. That's my whole notebook here's list. That's like lists. literally my yeah. Literally, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's all I do. I don't actually work; I just make lists.
1: And you're still doing something, yeah. so maybe that's yeah. the trick.
0: Yeah, I can't, even read, I can't even read what I wrote. Um, but anyways, it's on the list. Uh, exactly. Are you doing any marketing right now actively for swipes? Are you out Are you out anywhere? Are you, where, where do you get the word out?
1: We are always out there. Um, it's kind of amazing. We've been around for six years now, seven years almost. And still, every month, between five and six, seven schools reach out to us asking to start our program consistently i've never had to go out and ask people to start our program people just want it and we ask them how did you hear about us and half of them are like word of mouth or they see something online or just like natural organic output and then a third of like the the other half ish uh about a third of those are people who have this idea on their own right students or even administrators who are like there's so many dollars in these meal plans and they google it and then here we come Or now, even more so, it's schools who want to address hunger on campus and don't know what to do or how to start and where they're channeling. And I think that's where, I mean, that's what keeps me up at night, the idea that there's some school out there who heard that ending hunger on campus is a big deal now, so they're going to try and start a program, but have no idea how and do it really ineffectively. And here we are with, like, six years of wisdom and experience and best practices waiting to support schools. Right. So I think that's where marketing—we're stepping it up now to really capture that attention.
0: When you get to a point, and and you, you let's say you have a goal and you meet it, are you happy, or are you thinking, "Oh, we have all these other places that we need to get to"?
1: <laughs> um, one of my old coworkers. Every time we had a big success, I would be happy for maybe three or four minutes, and then immediately get back to work. Right. So she made me um, every time there was a win, we would have to like write it down and like choose some way of celebrating it um yeah so i think like joy is very ephemeral for me it's very fleeting um and i have to intentionally celebrate it because it's good to acknowledge how far you've come or or progress you have but there's always going to be work to do
0: totally no that's part of checking in yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah. and then where do you want to go i mean what is there that you uh, would want to be doing that you're not doing
1: um, we would want to have shifted the norm. Like, how can schools really see their responsibility to their students? Or as they hire contractors to come in and run their food services on campus, how do they ask that contractor to think about the needs of all of their students and make sure they have um, one of our? So, so like I mentioned, we collect money from students' meal plans. What happens to that money? Three main things. One is those dollars are credited to other students to their accounts who are in need. So they can enter the dining hall and have an amazing, warm, healthy meal, right? And feel like every other student. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we help fund food closets. There are now over 400 universities with literal pantries Pantries, on campus. And we uh, work with the school to provide food for them by just channeling these dollars. The school buys food at a very low cost and stocks it. And then finally, a lot of our schools continue to support the community. That's where we started. That's where we think uh, there's a lot of value in having students engage with the local community. But by far, students love meal swipes. Getting into the dining hall is a game, cha- game changer for your whole week.
0: Now now that it's been, I don't know, uh, eight years? Has it been?
1: Like seven. Seven
0: years? What is your relationship like with your alma mater? <laughs> Do they own it now or are they so still funny.
1: like um, a
0: little touchy? There's,
1: there's going to be some good stuff coming out this summer um, about our partnership with UCLA. What's, what's coming out? Well, I think I can talk about it. I don't know. <laughs> it's there's like UCLA is always trying to market itself, and they really picked up our story um, in some of their marketing stuff this year. Okay, yeah,
0: there we go. That's good. Yeah. UCLA own it.
1: Thank you. That's yeah,
0: should have been doing it from the beginning.
1: Exactly. I actually had to send them an email. I was like, you, I like tried a couple sources i mean you know we started this program and we've done a lot of really good in the world we keep saying we started at ucla you should leverage this you should give us resources you should yeah. connect us so i think um yeah it's all about partnerships right own it so who, own it who, who and, 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 and
0: and have them pay for everything I <laughs> think, <laughs> as you know yes yes, yeah. yes rachel thank you so much uh, i swiped out hunger is is the name
1: Swipe Hunger is the name Swipe Hunger is the website
0: alright thanks yeah. so much and, and good luck with everything thank you so much for having me that's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30 I hope you enjoyed it if you want to reach out to us with a comment or question please do so at under 30 that's the number 30 at podcast1.com Hey everybody, it's Chad Prather here, the guy that's unapologetically Southern on YouTube. Join me every Thursday for the Chad Prather Show exclusively here on Podcast One. I'm bringing armchair philosophy and observational humor to what's going on in the world. As guests, help me sort it all out. Nothing is off
1: limits on the Chad Prather Show. Again, every Thursday, it's new episodes of the Chad Prather Show right here on Podcast One. Download and listen to new episodes exclusively on Podcast One.com, the new
0: Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Donahue.